Okay, we are live, and uh, sorry, I have to create these links at right at the very last second, because when I don't, if I let them sit there, they'll hang there forever, and they won't ever actually go live, so I just give everybody a few minutes to to chime in here. Um, I'll wait and see uh, for some folks to comment here. Uh, today, I want to continue on in our study of Ephesians chapter 2, but before I do that, I just want to take a minute um, since we're kind of waiting for folks, um, a fellow who's a, a friend of the of the work that we do here uh, outside the church uh, sent me an email last night. I was out running an errand and sent me an email. And uh, there's a guy, and I have no idea who it is. Uh, there's a dude that lives in, what is it, Ovilo? Or Ov- I don't even know how to say where he lives in this area of Texas. Let's see. I actually just looked it up because I was trying to figure out who in the world is this guy. Um, if I can, do I still have it on there? Ovilo, Texas. Anyway, there's a podcast called um, Theology Central, and this guy has uploaded something like, like uh, almost five hours in like a day or two, uh, attacking me. <laughs> it's like um, he's listening to a sermon uh, that I preached uh, on how to respond biblically to the charge of antinomianism. And uh, I can't find his name. It's not listed on their their podcast. It's like theologycentral.net. There's nothing on there about who he is. Um, I I think I found his church. It's like it's a real, real small little building standing in the middle of literally nowhere in Texas somewhere. Um, but he's he's going after me, and I I, I shared this with my my brother Richard from uh, uh, California. And uh, he went and listened to a little bit of it. I pulled up a little bit of it, and he's playing clips of me and <laughs> responding. He sounds like he's one of these weird, like, non-lordship guys. Like, if you believe God, you know, God changes you. Apparently someone listened to some of it and said, he's accusing you of teaching that you have to be sinlessly perfect to go to heaven. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's a first. Um, no one's ever accused me of teaching you have to be sinlessly perfect in yourself uh, to go to heaven. Um, so, yeah. There's a lukewarm no more. My, my, another person I sent a, a link to is kind of like, can you listen to any of this? But, I mean, it's in one day. In one day, he uploaded something like four, four and a half hours of attacking me. And I just thought, Wow. I, that's kind of, uh, I'm kind of flattered by that. Like someone would devote that much time to playing a sermon, but I'm actually thankful that he did that. Cause, uh, it doesn't look like he has a whole lot of listeners or anything, but, uh, at least they'll get to hear the truth, which is, which is good. And not this, you know, if, if he is one of these anti-lordship guys, that's what I haven't listened to much of it. I'm not going to, um, but I just thought it was kind of funny. It was kind of comic relief. Um, uh, just with all of the, uh, all the lunacy going on in culture and society today—it's uh, been—it's uh, been kind of good to have something to, to chuckle about, I guess, a little bit. Um, I found a little clip where he he said that I was I was being arrogant because I because I said if you just read the Bible carefully, you'll agree with with what I'm saying here because this is what it says. And he sa- he made the comment, "All we have is our theology, and we all read it into the text." I'm like, "Wow. Well, if that's the case, then why bother preaching?" Why bother reading the Bible if all we have is our... Why not just get rid of the Bible altogether since we just have our, the, our theology that we bring to the text and that's what we read into the text? Surely, I mean, that, that's very that's very postmodern uh, to think that. You know, it's arrogant to think that you understand the Bible. 
Uh, 200 years ago, if you were diligent in your study of scripture and your study of systematic theology, historical theology, uh, you were seen as humble. Uh, today, if you do that and you, you speak with conviction, you're arrogant. Uh, so he's, uh, whoever this, this dude is from Texas, o- Ovilo, Texas, or whatever it is, um, uh, is very postmodern in his uh, thinking. So anyway, uh, hey there. Hey there, Lily and mom. And Ruth, Ruth told me, my, my little girl, uh, told me to say hi to her. So hi, Ruth. I hope you, you're watching too there with everybody. Um, all right. Yeah. And I, I, if I did find his church, it says they believe the London Baptist Confession. <laughs> I'm like, I thought for sure. Because on, on Sermon Audio, Theology Central, it says um, Independent Baptist and KJV. <laughs> I thought. Oh, okay. Um, maybe they're like these like wild-eyed uh, fundamentalist non-lordship. You can walk the aisle, pray the magic prayer, say you believe in Jesus, and go right on in your life living in sin um, as a pimp, prostitute, drug dealer, um, die an atheist, and you still are going to heaven. In other words, God doesn't change people. He, he, does, he can't change the heart. God cannot um, uh, do any work in us whatsoever. Um, God does not dethrone the power of sin in us. And we're not born again. Uh, we just make an intellectual move towards Christ, and now we're good to go. And uh, you can live the rest of your life, and you have no concern for holiness, no love for the church, no interest in the word of God, no hunger for the sacraments of baptism, Lord's Supper, no interest in discipleship. It's pretty, pretty weird. Uh, pretty weird. Independent fundamentalist Baptist. Yeah, those of you with with uh, Baptist, uh, more Baptist backgrounds than I've got. I, I was from the Evangelical Free Church. Um, uh, that's what I grew up in, which I'm very thankful for because it was a solid, you know, fundamental uh, denomination that wasn't didn't have like weird quirks. They understood the gospel. They taught the, the true gospel to us. Um, so Luke Warm No More says there is a wide divide from covenant theology and dispensationalism, and then there's the independent fundamentalist Baptist that is neither. That, that I'm curious about that. I would like to learn more about that. But anyway, so you want to check it out? There's a series like the you know unless he's already uploaded like ten more sound files. This guy's only been on Sermon Audio for like for like a year and a half, and he has over two thousand sermons. I mean, I've been preaching for for like twelve years, and I don't have that many. I don't even have, probably don't even have half as many. So this guy is just cranking out podcasts, and he is he's on the rampage, baby. He's going after me like there's no tomorrow. So I'm flattered. But anyway, all right. Sorry about that introduction. Let's get to uh, something good here, something edifying, namely scripture. If you have your Bible, uh, turn in it to Ephesians chapter two, verse one. I want to pick up here and. I want to start doing that more with, with the podcasting here, just reading through books of scripture, reading passages of scripture, and just commenting, expositing on it. Um, that's one thing. I feel like so many, um, so many uh, uh, podcasts and so so much of, of what what is supposed to be reform podcasting um, doesn't go a whole lot into scripture. There's so much on cultural issues, and yeah, there's a lot of crazy cultural stuff going on, but. Really, the only hope is that people will become Bible readers again, and I, that's just been bearing down on me more and more as I as I get to spend so much time reading my Bible, and I, I get to spend so much time studying the Bible and, and what I do. I can see more and more and more how important it is just to read it and to, to be a Bible reader. Uh, you want to be someone who, um, as a, an old pastor told me long ago, if you cut me, I will bleed Bible verses on you. <laughs> So these English Bibles that we have are, are a huge blessing, and it's a wonderful thing to have them. 
1689 Baptist. I appreciate your ministry. Hope God continues to bless it. Uh, thank you very much, sir. You're, you're new on here. I don't, I don't, I've not seen you on here before. So welcome, welcome, sir. Or, or ma'am. I don't know if you're a guy or a girl and, uh, and you've got, and you do have to be one or the other, just FYI. Okay. Ephesians two, verse one, and you, he made alive who were, uh, yeah, he's got the, um, the Baptist has a little picture of Arthur W. Pink on there. Uh, sorry. Okay. I'm going to focus on Ephesians now. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Okay. So let's, let's unpack this here. Now it says you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so God is the one who by his sovereign power makes the dead alive. Pardon me. This is one of the reasons that we believe in what we call irresistible grace because our spiritual condition is likened to a dead corpse. And if we really are dead, then it's going to take a supernatural act of God to make the dead live. Remember, there was a, um, uh, a quotation in uh, Norman Geisler's book, uh, Chosen But Free, where he speaks about us, we are not so dead that we can't do this, that, the other thing. And just think, the, the degrees of deadness, um, if, if you're dead, you're dead. All right. I mean, like I've made the joke before, you know, everyone's seen the movie, The Princess Bride. Remember Miracle Max and uh, Fezzik and Inigo Montoya bring uh, Wesley to the Miracle Max. And uh, he said, you know, he's, he's dead. He can't talk. And uh, Billy Crystal, who plays Miracle Max, well, it turns out that your friend here is only mostly dead. And uh, there is no mostly dead in scripture. If you're dead, you're dead. And uh, what's the only way that the dead can live? They have to be acted upon by the sovereign almighty God. Only God can make something dead alive. And how does he do that? By his effectual, invincible, almighty, and praise his name, irresistible grace. What is irresistible grace? It is resurrection power. Okay? So we were dead in trespasses and sins. And when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, before the grace of God made us alive in Christ, we walked in those sins and trespasses. We walked in them, verse 2, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In other words, we were disciples and followers of Satan. And that's a, a biblical theme that comes up in other places. Um, those that don't know Christ have been taken captive, we're told in 2 Timothy, uh, taken captive by the devil uh, to do his will. Uh, so atheists and evolutionists uh, who mock the very idea that Satan is real, uh, they don't realize that they are actually the, um, the servants of Satan. Verse 3, among whom we all also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, meaning Whatever the desires of the, the sinful nature were, we followed them. Whatever that sinful nature uh, wanted, that's what we wanted. So we just conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now this is a very important point because the prevailing idea out there, what's popular, is that everybody's a child of God. That we're all children 
of God, or the, the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man, neither of which are true. God is not everybody's father, and we are not everyone's brother and sister. We are the children of God once we are made alive in Christ and are justified by faith in Christ alone and not by our works. We are then adopted into God's family. But before that, we were children of Satan. We were children of wrath, just as the others. That's a, that's a terrifying thing. Children of wrath, that Greek term orge, anger. We were under the anger and judgment of Almighty God. Uh, there's a great Bible verse that uh, is a good verse to use for witnessing, um, where it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. <clears throat> so those who are outside of Christ are children of wrath. They're under the wrath and anger of God, and justly so. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, uh, gives us a very clear picture of man uh, in his unregenerate condition. He is uh, enslaved to his lusts. He just does whatever his mind and his lusts desire. And he's by nature a child of wrath, not by nature a child of God. No one is a child of God by nature. We are only children of God by adoption, by that divine act. Once we're forgiven and justified, God adopts us once for all uh, into his family. Ju justification and adoption are both acts. They're one-time acts of God. Once a person is adopted into God's family, they can never be anything other than a child of God. But until that happens, they are children of wrath by nature, just as the others. Okay? And the whole tone of the, <laughs> of the chapter changes in verse 4. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I remember reading a commentator, uh, it, may, it may have been Charles Hodge, I can't remember who I was reading about Ephesians chapter 2, but that, that individual um, commentator was a good commentator, I just can't recall who, who it was, made the comment, verse 5 should be the death of every one of man's religions. And of the idea that any works that we do have anything to do with saving us. I mean, look at verse 5. Look at it carefully. Okay, look, verse 4, we'll read, read it just to set it up. But then pay close attention to what verse 5 says. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Okay, so stop there. So there's no cooperation on our part. I mean, a, a dead person cannot cooperate in making themselves alive. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then the, the scriptures add the parenthetical statement, by grace you have been saved. If God does this by himself, and there's no cooperation on our part, and he simply acts upon us to make us alive in Christ, then we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace and, and nothing but grace. Okay, this is why it's so important that we protect that category of scripture, uh, the idea of grace. Uh, again and again, it comes up, um, the idea that Adam, before the fall happened, was in a gracious covenant with God. No, he wasn't. It was a covenant of works. It was a covenant of works that required obedience. If Adam had obeyed, he would have earned, by pure personal merit, the right to eat from the tree of life. And in fact, what he failed to do what he failed to do, Jesus had to enter into the law, enter into the covenant of works, and fulfill for us. And Jesus had to do that all for us. 
that's what grace is all about. God makes us alive with Christ. Christ does it all. He does all the saving. Okay, and verse 6 continues, And raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so stop there. So where is the believer seated? We're seated with Jesus in heavenly glory already. There's a sense in which we're already sitting there with the Lord Jesus at the very right hand of God. We're already in him, and we have been given those spiritual blessings. We've been given those spiritual blessings. And in verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So the ages to come. So that's when the second coming happens, when Jesus comes back and inaugurates the new heavens and the new earth. Um, it will be an exceeding display of the richness of God's grace. Okay, so we've been raised up, we've been spiritually reborn, regenerated, made alive in Christ, whatever uh, figurative, you know, uh, whatever figure of speech you want to use, made alive, regenerated, born again. Uh, the, the bones in the valley in Ezekiel 37 have been raised back up and put back together and sinews and skin and blood and everything have been put back in there and they're raised up to be a mighty army. God has done this and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ in a, in a manner of speaking because we are united to Christ by faith. That's why we have the imputation of Christ's righteousness and his cross is accepted as our own. But we're also seated in the heavenly places. There's a sense in which we already have. We have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of our communities. We're citizens of the earth. But our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of the, of the politeia, of the city of God. So we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that's already our residence. It's like we're, we're sitting there with him. In the ages to come, he will show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Because when he comes back, we're going to be in heaven forever. And we'll always be with him. We're seated in the heavenly places even now. We're not just citizens of our communities. Here, we're citizens of, of heaven itself. And, and Ephesians goes on to say that even more. But we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus now, so that, so that, in fact, I want to make sure something here. Yeah, it is. Let me look at the Greek here real quick. I bet you that's a plus a subjunctive clause there. Uh, in order that, um, uh, yeah, it is subjunctive. Yeah. So it's not in order that he might make, make known to these, us these things, but in order that he would do this, that in the ages to come, he will show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness. Wow. Hena and Dexatai, it says. Hena, the little particle Hena, when it has a subjunctive mood, uh, becomes a purpose clause. There's no uncertainty about it. It's not that, well, maybe he might do this or he might not. It's he will do it. He will do it, absolutely. Then we move into Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Oh, that men would understand this. If people could just get this ver these three verses together, it would just be glorious. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, why is faith so important here? What does that word pistis, belief, mean? It means to have a knowledge of Jesus Christ and to have personal trust in him. Meaning you're relying on him to get you into heaven. That's what it means to be saved by grace. We're justified by faith in Christ because faith lays hold of the righteousness of Christ and nothing else. We rely upon and trust in the righteousness of Christ and nothing else so that our salvation can be by grace. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so salvation, grace, faith, all of those things together are the gift of God. Faith in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So works and obedience are the same thing. So it's not of obedience, lest anyone should boast. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of the law, not of our works of law, not of our deeds of righteousness, whatever you want to put in there. It's not because of anything wrought in us or done by us that we are saved, lest anyone should boast. Okay, well, what about good works then? Verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has ordained that his people should walk in good works, and they will. They will walk in good works. They're not saved by good works. They're not saved with the help of good works, but they will walk in them. They will have a desire to follow Christ because of that change of heart that God does for us. But we are the workmanship of God. So it's important that we don't grow discouraged because we see see ourselves as the, the very craftsmanship, the workmanship of God in Christ, something that he made. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you see do you see yourself as a Christian as the workmanship of God and you were created for that purpose to do good works? He recreated you. He made you born again, created you in Christ, saved you by grace and not by works so that you would do good works. Not in order to be saved because you already are saved. And God prepared that life of good works beforehand that you should walk in it, that we should walk in them. Then he goes on from there, since, since God has done this, since he saves us by grace through faith, not by our works, lest anyone should boast, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for those good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And now verse 11, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, in other words, the Jews that, that didn't believe, they called the, the Gentiles the uncircumcised ones. You know, remember um, David, as I recall, David even says that about Philistine. You're going to let this uncircumcised Philistine talk to us this way? Okay. You, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, he's, he's talking about their pre-Christian life, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And there's, there's that word, politeia, the administration of civil affairs, a state or a commonwealth. You, you were strangers from the, the commonwealth of Israel, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he's saying to the Gentile believers there in Ephesus, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. You used to be without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you did not have God. You did. You were without God in the world. Isn't that a, a fascinating way of putting that? The, the term there is atheos. That's where we get the word atheist. You were godless. You were godless in the world. You, you didn't have the true God as your God. Think of the uh, first question, uh, the, uh, the first commandment, and then the questions about it in the Shorter Catechism. Um, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment requires that we know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God. 
And so before you came to know Christ, you were atheos. You were, you were an atheist. You were without God. Maybe you professed allegiance to some deity or something, but you were without God. Until someone truly knows Christ, they are, they are without God. And they have no hope. No hope. No expectation of going to heaven. No expectation of future bliss in heavenly glory. Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, how, do, how does the blood of Christ do that? How does the blood of Christ bring us, bring a, a formerly godless person near to God? Because by that shed blood, we are forgiven of all of our sins. By that shed blood, we are justified before God. By that shed blood, since it appeases the wrath of God, we're saved from the wrath of God. And now we who once were far away from God are near to God. We have fellowship and close communion with God. And that's the great glory of the gospel is that. Verse 14, with a great text. For he himself is our peace. He is our arene, our, our peace, our shalom. He's the basis of our wholeness of relationship and fellowship with Christ, with, with the true God. He himself is our peace, who has made both one, Jew and Gentile, both are one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. I think that the, uh, the dispensationalists would have a bit of a hard time with this uh, verse, uh, since they maintain that God has not made Israel and the church one, or Jews and Gentiles one, uh, in the ultimate sense, as if uh, they might say, well, no, he makes, he makes them one in the church, but there's still a separate Israel and a separate plan for them. Nope. Nope. The church is the new Israel, and God has made Jews and Gentiles one in Jesus Christ. And God has broken down the middle wall of separation. There no longer is a court in the temple, so to speak, for the Gentiles, and then a place for Jews. There's nothing that separates them now. There's Jew and Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, okay, that the, the hostility, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. See, the reason that the cross and the Christian faith and the gospel has always brought people together is the fall of man into sin levels the whole playing field. We're all equally fallen. We're all fallen, and we all need the same Savior. And Jews and Gentiles, and black and white, and red, and and whatever color skin you have, we all need the same Savior. And so once we come to Christ, and once we are reconciled to God through Christ, the hostility that once separated people of different ethnicities and different backgrounds is gone. He puts to death that enmity. And that's one of the glorious, most wonderful things about the gospel is that it brings people together. The most unlikely of people uh, can be friends, can be brothers and sisters in the Lord, because we all have a common Savior. Once a person is reconciled to God through Christ, we have a common Savior, uh, and we have a common God and a common passion, and that is to live our lives in holiness and uh, walk in integrity and and, uh, have hope and to encourage one another. 
verse 17 of Ephesians 2. And he came and preached peace to you who were far, far off and to those who were near. Okay? In other words, those who were near would be the Jews, those who were far off, the Gentiles. He came and preached peace. Jesus came and preached peace to both groups. He, he came and preached to both groups. Verse 18. For through him, Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. You hear that? There, there are not two peoples of God, Jews and Gentiles. There are not two peoples of God. There is one people of God, Jew and Gentile both. Jew and Gentile that believe in Jesus Christ and are reconciled to the one true God and are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. There is no enmity left. There is nothing that separates us left. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What a great text. Gentiles that believe in Jesus, they are not strangers and foreigners. Okay, they are not the goyim. They're, they're not xenos. Okay, have you ever heard the, the phrase, someone is, is xenophobic? That means they don't like foreigners. They don't like anybody outside of their own country. That's a sin. It's a sin to be like that. But here Paul is telling this church in Ephesus, at a time when Jews and Gentiles, they had nothing to do with each other. And here he's telling them, in the gospel, since you both have believed in Christ, these Gentiles, they're not strangers anymore. They're not foreigners anymore. They are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's a pretty, pretty revolutionary idea, uh, especially for Jewish people, to think that the Gentiles had the very same relationship, the exact same relationship to God that they had, the same access to the Lord that they had. It was just hard. It was hard for them to really get their mind around it, but that's exactly what the text of Scripture is, is saying here. You're not, strange, you're not strangers and foreigners. You are fellow citizens now with the saints and members of the household of God. And then verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, meaning built upon the foundation of divine revelation. The divine revelation of what God spoke and what God revealed through the apostles and through the prophets. And I, I think that that's probably a reference to both Old Testament prophets that wrote the, the uh, books of the Old Testament, as well as to uh, New Testament prophets who were, who were alive and operating and giving direct revelation from God to the churches prior to uh, the scriptures being completed there. But the one church and the one people of God, there's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church, and I think that was one of Paul's big fears. One of his big fears is that there would eventually be a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And he labors and labors and labors in all his letters to let them know you both are, are images of God. You're both fallen, both redeemed in exactly the same way. It's the same Holy Spirit that indwells you. The same Savior saved you. The same cross reconciles you both to God. They're not strangers and foreigners. You are all one. You're fellow citizens. You're part of the one church. And you're all together built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Great chapter full of wonderful, indicative statements of fact. Here are the facts. Here are the things that have been accomplished by Christ. Jesus has accomplished all these things. He has made the two, the Jews and Gentiles, one in Christ Jesus. He has brought them both together. Jesus is our peace, the peace of Jews and Gentiles. Our peace with God is based on the same thing. We have both been brought near by the blood of Christ, and we have been reconciled to God through Christ. Both sides, Jews and Gentiles, were, before they were saved, they were, by nature, children of wrath. But God... Verse 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Think, think about that. Think about the richness of God's mercy. No matter what a person has done, if they experience the brokenness of heart that only the Holy Spirit can bring, and they see the depth of that sin, and they see how odious it is, to, to quote our, the uh, catechism, the odiousness of sin, how filthy it is, how contrary to it is to the character of the God that they now love and adore. And they see that mercy and they see that great love and they turn to Jesus and say, Jesus is all I have. I am trusting only in the righteousness of Christ. And they recognize that by faith alone and Christ alone, not by their works whatsoever, lest anyone should boast, they trust in the finished work of Christ. They will live a life of good works. Not in order to be saved, but because they are saved. Because that change has happened in them. Because God has made that dead heart alive in Christ. Because God has taken the heart of stone out and replaced it with a heart of flesh that loves the truth and wants to walk in God's ways. Okay, so there's Ephesians 2. Let me let me see who's over here now. Let me pull this up here. Um, okay, look at this. You see that, that light thing right there? I've got pictures and stuff and set up in my windows to try to block out the sun. No matter what I do, there's always a little beam of light that tries to find my eyeball right there. Okay. Um, is the channel Theology Central on YouTube? I don't think it is. I actually looked, looked and saw. I, I'm not sure. I don't think it is. But it is on Sermon Audio. And, and there's also theologycentral.net, I believe, is the, the website. But the, the, this guy seem, seems like he doesn't want anyone to know who he is. It's really weird. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. But he definitely doesn't like me. <laughs> Does not like me. Okay. Um, I appreciate your ministry. You're, well, I appreciate that. Thank you for your kind words there. Um, yeah. Like Lazarus. Yep. We were raised from the dead just like Lazarus. Uh, okay. Yeah, he likes Arthur W. Pink. Pink's a great author. He, he was not... Um, not recognized in his lifetime for the, the brilliant, brilliant writer that he was. But just FYI, if you really like Arthur Pink, there's like a zillion of his books um, on Kindle that are really cheap. They're like 99 cents a piece. I've got almost all of them on there. But anytime I've ever read anything by Pink, I've just been like, wow. This guy, this guy's um, gift was definitely writing. Uh, writing um, theological discourse is something he was just very, very good at. Um, the Attributes of God is great. The Sovereignty of God is one of the most important books I've ever read, and I've listened to it on Audible numerous times, too. It's just outstanding. So, okay. Uh, dead presupposes motionless. <laughs> that's, that's true. 
That's true. We have no action in the matter. That's right. We are entirely passive. Uh, the dead, the dead don't cooperate. They, they don't cooperate, and they don't resist either. They can't. They can't resist uh, and share their thoughts on anything either. Merry Christmas, fighting negative 40 degree weather. You know, yeah, the temperature is supposed to drop here in Tennessee where I live like 30 degrees tomorrow. So the high tomorrow is like 8 degrees or something. Right now it's like 50 outside. It's like nice and sunny and it's like 50 degrees. Yeah, everyone try to stay stay warm. Hi everyone, there's Paul Garvey from uh, across the pond over there in England. Uh, the interesting bit about this text, verses 8 through 10, is that this refutes legalism and uh, nomianism all in one fell swoop. Yeah, isn't it beautiful? I love how God can do that in like one and a half sentences or two sentences. God can refute every heresy that's ever reared its head on those issues. If people really believed Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, they would never make mistakes on those issues again. They would never make mistakes on those issues again. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by obedience. We're not saved by anything that we do. We're saved by Christ, period. Okay, uh, Jonas, there's another guy who was there last time. Jonas, Adam was still under the common grace of God. Um, no, not, not before the fall happened. Uh, but I think it's very, very important that people realize that. Before the fall, Adam doesn't need grace for anything because he's not fallen yet. Okay, plus... I, I have discarded the phrase common grace. I know that's a common theological term. Um, I, I have adopted the phrase instead because I think it's a little bit safer. It really protects the uniqueness of the word grace to call it common benevolence. Grace is what God does to save people. So you kind of, and, and scripturally, that's the only, really the only way the term is used is to speak of the saving grace of God. So to speak of common grace is kind of like what do you what do you mean by that um it, it's not a biblical phrase i know it's it's common it's been used for a long time but i think common benevolence would would probably capture better what what's being said there okay uh uh-huh. i listened to what you said on christian sermons uh i just got my oil in yesterday <laughs> yeah i actually just got my oil topped off yesterday too and my my uh I have a 1997 Saturn that I drive. It's 25 years old now, so I can technically get historic antique plates for it. But that thing drinks oil. I mean, it's just the sun. Okay, that thing just drinks in the oil, and I have to get oil put in it constantly. Okay, all right. Uh, So that's about it. I don't want to try to press into anything else. Does anyone else have any questions, thoughts, or comments? Hope everyone has a wonderful uh, Christmas. And just remember. There are no holy days except the Sabbath, but uh, you are free in Christ to celebrate the birth of Jesus and celebrate the gospel in any way you see fit, and you're also free to ignore Christmas if you want to. You're free to do both, okay? You're not obligated to celebrate it, nor are you obligated to ignore it. It is a thing indifferent, so just I hope hope everyone remembers that. All right, uh, love y'all. It's good to see y'all on the uh, side channel over there. Hopefully, my brother uh, Richard was able to to get in. I didn't see anything from him. But anyway, hope he he was over there. Love y'all. Have a good Christmas, and uh, we'll see y'all again soon. Thanks for watching or for listening. 
Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you.